Well, hello and welcome to episode 281 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. My name's Neville Bounds and a very warm welcome to all of you on this rather blustery evening here in the UK. Now it's over in Bungie, Matt. Is it the same over there? Well, I have to confess it's been a really rather pleasant day here. I mean, very much in stark contrast to what we were expecting. Uh, we were supposed to be having like severe rainstorms and all sorts, but that seems to have sort of gone by the wayside. Yeah, very, uh, very intermittent rain and very uh, torrential at times as well. But then the sun came out and then we had the rain again. So we've had uh, every, <laughs> almost every season today. Like I say, all you need is a bit of hail and it's sort of four seasons in one day, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I don't suppose we're getting any of that, though, uh, over, over across the pond, are we, Armando? How is it where you are? No, it's actually a beautiful day here in North Carolina. It's not too terribly hot and it's sunny skies and... I don't know, probably about 85 degrees or so. Well, uh, Nev, what have you been up to this week? Anything fun? Uh, yes, well, it's the second week of my new job, so it's been rather hectic. And, um, yeah, it, it's been really good, actually, really enjoying it. And uh, lots of travelling up to the northwest of England uh, as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was good. So uh, glad it's Friday, though. It's been a bit quite a full-on week, I must say. Um, uh, yes, looking forward to uh, to the show tonight. How about yourself? Oh, I, 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 I'm in the rather unusual situation where I've had th I'm basically having three days off for the first time, like three consecutive days off now since what feels like a millennia ago. Yes. Now, you've got a very special guest in the studio with you tonight, haven't you? I have. Now, so many people will know know her from uh, various uh, audio clips that we've had sent in to us over the years. Uh, and I took a little trip out to uh, sort of North Norfolk-y sort of area this afternoon, and I picked up the lovely Jenny in Rome. Hello, Jenny. Hello, and here I am. <laughs> taking Carlos's chair, so this is very exciting. So, so you're here just visiting family? Visiting family back to Rome on Sunday night as long as there are no more strikes. Ah, yes. Now, you were telling us on the way, on, on the way in the car here, actually, that um, you'd, um, you, you came here by Ryanair, but you're actually not going home with Ryanair, and that was because you were concerned about the strikes. Yes, I thought if uh, I could come over quite safely with Ryanair because they were voting on the strikes <laughs> after I arrived. And then I'm going back with EasyJet, so just in case they were going to be striking. <laughs> right. so, you know, that is, that is forward thinking, it's, uh, that's what we like to hear. What have you been up to this week, Armando? Well, it's uh, nice to be back on the show. Sorry I wasn't able to make it on the, uh, the Saturday show last week. But it's been a lot of flying. I've been flying for Civil Air Patrol, I've been flying skydivers and flying in my local place and then working at the airport. Uh, and I think we were just talking about before the show started, I got some, you know, sort of a pickup uh, first officer in a King Air 350 where I got a chance to travel up and down the East Coast yesterday. So staying pretty busy with just random flying jobs. Wow. Wow. This is just like, it's, I just love the fact that you can just jump into an aeroplane and just go for a fly. I mean, it's it's, it's so alien to us here in the UK. But uh, Anyway, so it is just coming up to 11 minutes past seven here in the UK. And uh, are we ready for some civil aviation news? We certainly are. Let's off we go.
Well, first off, it's on the uh, dailypost.co.uk website, and we were just talking about the Ryanair strike, uh, and it says uh, as their headline that uh, Ryanair pilots are planning a series of strikes in the UK in the coming week after having been uh, having made no progress in a row over pay. It comes after the British Airline Pilots Association held an industrial uh, action ballot over employment issues such as pensions. Uh, the aviation ballot saw 80% of pilots vote in favour of strike action with a 72% turnout amongst Alper members. The planned industrial action will likely disrupt travel plans for holidaymakers across the UK if they go ahead and <clears throat> as planned towards the end of August and early September. The first scheduled strike action will last just under 48 hours commencing on Thursday August the 22nd and ending at midnight on Friday August the 23rd. Uh, Ryanair customers should expect heavier disruption, however, between Monday, September the 2nd and Wednesday, September the 4th. Uh, in a statement released earlier, Balper explained, decades of Ryanair refusing to deal with unions has resulted in two things. Firstly, a management that apparently doesn't understand how to work with unions, and secondly, a company that doesn't have a number of standard agreements that any union would reasonably expect in any workplace. The association said uh, this is why its claim includes issues including pensions, maternity benefits, as well as a fair, transparent and consistent pay structure. Uh, Balper claimed it had made no progress with Ryanair management on any of those areas at all. Uh, Brian Strutton, Balper General Secretary, said, uh, we have had no formal offer from Ryanair and it is imperative that we resolve this dispute urgently to avoid strike action. No pilot wants to spoil the public's travel plans, but at the moment it seems we have no choice. The budget airline, however, has criticised the decision for strike action, primarily because it claims it has no mandate from Ryanair pilots. More than 1,250 pilots are currently employed by Ryanair in the UK, the majority of whom did not support industrial action, according to the airline. In a statement, the company said, we are disappointed that the pilots union Balper is threatening to disrupt our customers' travel plans during late, late August and early September, when it had, has the support of uh, less than 30% of Ryanair's UK pilots. Balper have no mandate to disrupt our customers' holidays and flights, particularly at a time uh, when UK pilots are facing job losses due to the Boeing MAX delivery delays. Uh, Ryanair added that the decision is ill-timed just 10 weeks before Brexit on October the 31st. We had to get Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so uh, glad it's been mentioned. It says that the, Got that out of the yes, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got it that out of the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It says that the airline has written to Balper asking for additional talks and said we apologise sincerely to any customers for any uncertainty that the ballot may cause them. Well, uh, this is a, uh, a collision that's been many months and several mm. years in the making, I think, isn't it, between uh, Ryanair and pilots. Um, yeah. So I'm not surprised that this has come to a head. Whether they'll avert a strike or not, I don't know. Well, of course, uh, one of the things that Ryanair is most famous for is not being particular, not particularly giving a monkeys about what other people outside of Ryanair, you know, 
say, are they? I mean, it's just, you know, he, he, he's always, well, not just him, I'm sure, is it? But everybody's always sort of he had their own opinion, if you like. He, he's, he's dealt with his staff and with his, uh, you know, cabin crew and with his pilots and stuff his own way. And now they've sort of started sort of joining unions and stuff. I, I guess it was inevitable that, that there was going to be an awful lot of strike action, certainly to start off with, um, before they start playing ball. I mean, it's... Uh, but I mean, again, BA have been dogged by by strikes over many years, haven't they? Indeed, and the, these thick, these situations occasionally have eleventh hour resolutions. Yeah. In fact, the, the, what that happened at the at Heathrow um, earlier this week, yes, they yes. managed to avert these the strike on Monday and Tuesday, as it turned out. But uh, you never quite know, do you? No, you don't. It, it's a, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? How, where do you sit on this one, Armando, when it comes to things like strikes? Well, you know, I think it's very different for, you know, the, the different reasons that. So when you hear about British Airways pilots finding a strike over pay, and they're the highest paid uh, yeah. pilots, and then you have Ryanair pilots who we know are the generally, name, yeah. Yeah, probably the lowest, lowest paid. paid. Yeah, certainly in the commercial aviation world. Yeah, so so there there's a middle ground for everyone, but it, it's in those particular companies has to do a lot with management and the way that management is communicating with their employees and whether the employees feel like they're valued for for their company and and you know and and like Nev said, that combined with the possible Heathrow strike. Mm. Uh, seems to be a, a pretty precarious period in, um, that was a lot of alliteration, in, uh, <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> in, in I mean, British travel this summer, you know. Yeah, I, I, and again, of course, you could always argue that the timing sucks because it's when, certainly this time of year, it's where a lot of UK people are going away on holiday because it is the summer holiday break and, and things like that. I mean, uh, but... Well, I, mean, I mean, that could be a strategic move also, knowing oh, that absolutely. it is travel periods. I mean... <laughs> I mean, Nev, do you ever think that Ryanair are actually going to properly, um, you know, acknowledge? I mean, they say on paper that they, you know, they're acknowledging the unions and things like that. But uh, I mean, he's never really going to play ball with with stuff like unions, is he? Well, the thing is that there's lots of other things going on at the moment, isn't there? There's the Brexit thing, of course. Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> there's also uh, there's also the. Um, uh, seven three max seventy seven max problem. Yes. Isn't it? So, there, it's not just a single situation that's going on here. This could be the alignment of uh, the holes in the Swiss mm. cheese, as they say. And did, so did, there, there's a lot going on all at the same time. And I read somewhere, wasn't it like there's like nine hundred odd jobs he's talking about possibly cutting mm. off the back of this sort of you know. Uh, the sort of like the max is not being ready in time and and or available I should say not necessarily ready but available in time. I mean it's a it's a big a big thing. I mean it's just uh, I mean Jenny obviously you you fly with Ryanair quite a lot. I mean yes. d does it you know I mean he's as I say he's not particularly well known for for giving a monkeys about his passengers. I mean mm -hmm. I, I I can't see that he's going to look after you know he's going to give a monkeys about the pilots anywhere less. <laughs> Well, I, ho I hope he does. I've mm. been flying with Ryanair for years and years and excellent at the mm. flying skills, it seems to me. Nothing yeah. to complain about there and the cabin staff as well. It's always been fine. 
Yeah, that's that. That is true. It's uh, it's. Uh, I suppose it, for as long as he gets away with um, sort of paying them less, I suppose then he'll continue to do so. Mm. So well, well, good luck to the unions. I, I think. Anyway, we'll move on to the next story. I've got a British Airways story. This is um, different. Uh, <laughs> on the Morning Star is the is the publication we're using Morningstar.co.uk, and the headline is British Airways warns passengers of knock-on impact after IT glitch so obviously you will have seen in the in the headlines that there were a couple of problems at Gatwick and Heathrow over this last week uh, British Airways has warned of knock-on disruption as services return to normal on Thursday following an IT glitch which caused the cancellation of more than 100 flights and passengers face the threat of future disruption after British Airline Pilots Association members at BA voted on Wednesday to take industrial action in a dispute over pay tens of thousands of passengers attempting to travel to or from Heathrow, Gatwick or London City were affected by the IT problem on Wednesday. Some 117 flights due to depart or arrive at Heathrow were axed. Uh, BA could face a compensation bill in excess of uh, £8 million uh, if all those affected claim uh, what they are entitled to under EU rules. Uh, the air airline, part of International Consolidated Airlines Group SA, said uh, in a statement on Wednesday night that we have resolved the temporary systems issue from earlier today and apologise to customers who are affected. Any customers whose flights have been cancelled uh, have either been rebooked or offered a refund. We plan to operate our normal schedule tomorrow, however there may be some knock-on disruption, presumably because aircraft are all in the wrong place aren't they uh, the airline uh, the airline said uh, earlier said it appreciated how frustrating their customers experience had been and said teams worked tirelessly to get the vast majority of travelers on their way there are some long queues of passengers at Heathrow and error messages on the BA app as some services lagged more than five hours behind schedule uh, the airline was forced to use a backup and manual systems in a bid to cope with the problem Darren Rowe from the Cotswolds said that his 10:20 a.m. flight from Hamburg to, uh, from Heathrow uh, sorry, to Hamburg from Heathrow uh, for business meetings was cancelled before all the chaos let loose. Uh, and I suppose this this is the big thing, isn't it? Really, I mean, a lot of people uh, are using this for business, aren't they? So they're they're flying out to places like Hamburg for their meetings. I mean, obviously, Nev, you've done your fair share of uh, business meetings. Um, I mean, this must be incredibly frustrating for for someone like yourself if you know you're just literally going for a a meeting that afternoon or whatever you know and you're just going to have one night over there before you come home i mean this must be a, a a big thing if something like this happens yeah and it's not the first time of course that ba have experienced uh, the these it outages as, mm. as well so i think they've got to look at the uh, the the longer term knock on effect because the cost uh, not just to them in possible compensation, but you know, loss of revenue mm. later on, because I think people are getting a little bit fed up with it now. Well, you uh, can understand why people are losing confidence, couldn't you? Other, yeah, sure, yeah, absolutely. They're looking for other alternatives. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, they need to have a long, hard look at it, and certainly for people that are doing that that day trip to you know northern parts of Europe, where or maybe just an overnight stay, as you say, um, if if you end up with it with a massive delay or a cancellation. And that's quite a big thing. So, mm. um, yeah, I think there's some, some work to do there. So, I mean, what, what, what was the issue again? Was it, was it to do with check-in or was it booking? The, presumably it wasn't booking the tickets in the first place. Presumably they'd managed to do that. 
Um, yeah, I think it was to do with the check-in and then probably something to do with the paperwork uh, because obviously all the loads are calculated from the from the weight of the baggage and, and that kind of right. stuff. So lots of things going on there. But um, yeah, they, they need to find a, a better way through a more robust system and they do have you know backup systems and all the rest of it i'm sure but um yeah this is this is happening a little bit too often uh, mm. and it's uh, of course it's not just the flights leaving Heathrow and gatwick it's all the stuff yeah. coming back in because the aircraft will be out of position yeah. the crew will be out of position and there's there's so many things that uh, depend on a, an, an aircraft getting away on time indeed it's um i mean i'm under obviously you, you're in the states there i mean you 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 I mean, you're aware of BA and its problems. I mean, d d does something like this make you a little bit nervous about uh, jump, jumping, you know, booking a ticket with BA to say, come come over to Heathrow? Well, no, we've certainly had our share of issues here in the U.S. too. I think Delta had a, a fairly public um, computer glitch a couple months ago and American Airlines had one a few months ago. So I, I think, you know, it's the the reservation systems we call you can call it a reservation system but it really everything is tied to it it's tied to the dispatch system it's tied to the baggage system mm. so if one uh, one component falls over yeah, yeah a component of it exactly it's going to uh, affect now there are redundant systems and but that you know kind of like you guys were talking about last week some of these schedules are so tight and there's such short mm. uh, turnaround times that just one glitch in the matrix is gonna is gonna really gum things up well, of course, so, I mean, I mean that one of the things with with Ryanair, I mean, they're famous, obviously, for their very short turnarounds. I mean, there's no layover time at all. I mean, it, you know, everything ends up at the base where it started in an ideal world. So, for example, a flight from Stansted will perhaps do, uh, you know, two uh, two stops, if you like, before it then terminates back at at Stansted. And, of course, if if they had a, a similar IT outage uh, as as BA have done, I mean, that's, you know, you've got aircraft sort of dotted all over Europe that are in completely the wrong places. Yeah, and I, and I think there's one big difference. So having had the, the pleasure of, of flying quite a bit commercially, both in the U.S. and, and in Europe, um, I think there's a little, at least I had a little bit of a different mentality in, in Europe because of sheer geography. Mm. So there's so much more short uh, legs travel in Europe for, for whether it's business pleasure, that when you compare that to the distances, you know, from, from Charlotte to New York is the same distance as London to, you know, somewhere in Italy. Yeah. So when I traveled for business in Europe, I generally kind of thought of it almost as a you know, less air travel, more just, hey, it's a mode of transportation. So if there's going to be delays mm -hmm. and, and the weather is different over there, the, the airspace is different. You have different considerations in, in commercial air travel than you do in the U.S. So I always just kind of stayed flexible in, the, mm -hmm. in, the, in Europe and especially British weather and, and German weather, um, you know, could, could really wreak havoc on, on some of these yeah. schedules. This is true. Now, Jenny, obviously, you do. You, I mean, you, you don't do a huge amount of flying, but obviously, you're quite often commuting between Italy and and here, obviously, to mm -hmm. visit family. Mm -hmm. I mean, does a story like this make you a bit nervous about booking with someone like BA? Well, I, I changed my mind about it this time when I couldn't 
actually book the ticket and I thought oh dear I hope it doesn't mean that the other credit card details are going to oh, disappear of course, yeah. again so I thought I'll just do it with EasyJet so I did change my mind on the spot at yeah the and, I, and I don't suppose you'll be the only person actually changing their mind I mean obviously Nev you're 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 very loyal to BA if you like but I mean it's uh, I tried I mean, to be loyal yeah, <laughs> it's easy, it's, tried to be loyal to BA bless you <laughs> you got someone else fighting your corner here Nev <laughs> Yeah, that's not very nice. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got to do what's right for you. And also the, the cost involved as well. So, you know, if there's an alternative and uh, the price suits you and the, the flight timings are, are good, mm. then that's what you've got to go with, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. That's true. Right, we'll move on to the next story then. Please, Armando, that is with you. Yeah, and actually before I, I read this story, uh, hello to Dr. Steph in the chat room. And I did fail to mention when we were talking about what we've done, uh, I did get a chance to th to throw my lovely wife out of my airplane. I'm sorry, what? That, <laughs> that, that yeah, that's, that's not something you're supposed to do, Armando. I mean, that gets you into trouble usually. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great because we actually got to the ground almost at the same time. Her under a pra uh, parachute and me in a in a Cessna 182, and I almost beat her to the ground. But I decided to take the chivalrous route and make sure that her chute opened. Not well, that, that I could do anything about it, no. but uh, <laughs> and then watched her parachute down to the ground, and that was on the flight after I threw Steph Plummer out of the yeah, airplane. Right, <laughs> as you do, perfectly normal. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, we we had a, a great time last Sunday uh, out at the uh, our local skydive place, and uh, I, I'm I got the chance to fly them both and and chuck them out of the airplane. Well, in fact, I'm trying to think. I th I'm trying to think who I was having a conversation with on Twitter today. But they, uh, uh, him and Dr. Steph were having a similar conversation about uh, sort of throwing themselves out of perfectly functioning aircraft, which I will never ever fully understand. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, if the thing's on fire, I get it. That's fine. You know, throw yourself out by all means. You know, every man to every man or woman for themselves. But <laughs> if there's nothing wrong with the damn thing, what's wrong with you all? <laughs> No, I'll get I'll get some videos posted and and maybe we can put it on the uh, PTUK website or okay. the YouTube. Yeah, sounds good. Anyway, on to the next story, anyway. please. Yeah, yeah. So this one is from uh, GlobeNewsWire.com, and on August seventh, low fare carrier Frontier Airlines kicked off its Green Week, uh, operated America's greenest flight, highlighting the airline's commitment to fuel efficiency and focus on sustainability. The flight operated between Denver and Greenville, South Carolina, pun intended, uh, utilizing one of the most fuel-efficient aircraft in the world, the A320neo, which is a significant contributor to Frontier operating the most fuel-efficient fleet in the U.S. So for this week, uh, Frontier will be encouraging others to live greener with sustainable giveaways and invites everyone with the last name Green to fly for free on Tuesday, August 13th, 2019. Uh, so you still wow. have time to go to the courthouse and change your name. <laughs> uh, let's Round see. The yeah, quick. Yeah, right. Unfortunately, Frontier Airlines, you can probably get from Alaska to New York and maybe down to Florida. But, okay. uh, let's see. Uh, today, be beautiful parts of the world. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the flight is focused on sustainability uh, on every level. Service items utilized include uh, compostable cold cups, hot cups, and napkins made from recycled materials, bamboo stir sticks, Customers enjoying uh, snacks utilizing eco-friendly packaging and cans, bottles, paper, plastic will all be separated and recycled to further lessen the environmental impact 
uh, Frontier is planning enough trees to offset the flight's carbon footprint. In addition, all passengers aboard America's greenest flight will receive green-inspired gifts to encourage them to think sustainably long after they have reached their final destination. Uh, mm -hmm. So it goes on to talk about some of Frontier's uh, sustainable efforts and, uh, and green efforts, and it goes all the way back to 2013, where Frontier has led the way on some of these efforts. So good job to them. I mean, this this sounds like a very odd question to ask. I suppose. I mean, obviously, we're in a time where we're supposed to be trying a bit, you know, try and think about the impact that we're having on the on the world. But I mean, is flying ever really something that can be? When you think about the amount of people who are being moved from one part of the planet to another on said things, I mean, are we? Re I suppose you know, using two engines rather than four. I get that, obviously, because you're not, uh, you know, burning more fuel. But I mean. Are you ever really going to have what I call truly green flights? Well, I, you know, you're talking about some using that same logic is if you are able to reduce fuel consumption and carbon emissions uh, by call it 10% per aircraft because of so many aircraft flying in the skies. If you look at any uh, map of the U.S. Uh, airspace system, a real-time map you'll see there's quite a few airplanes up there so if each one of these airplanes is is reducing uh you know emissions by 10 percent, then that's a pretty significant step from at least one industry yeah. and yeah so you're right probably not the most you know environmentally conscious way to travel but as micah says in the chat room it mm. is much greener than uh, cars or, or buses or coaches and yeah absolutely no I no, I get that I mean you think the average the average fuel consumption of, of of your average coach for example I mean the one that I drive is pretty good I think that works out around about 13 13 miles to the gallon something like that which is not bad for for a coach actually um, but I mean I, I you know is that, I mean, there's a lot of talk about sort of going electric obviously which I mean obviously airplanes and stuff are a long long way from being able to do that but I give you an example I mean obviously they're saying like in the in the haulage industry where you're talking about sort of you know trying to make lorries and things uh, use electricity rather than than diesel and stuff and the the thing that sort of occurred to me actually is one of my colleagues was uh, going up north and there's a massive uh, overnight lorry park on the A1 and one of the things that he was saying there is this particular this particular site was able to hold 1500 lorries as an overnight stop point so and it's a very popular place where lots of people went now if you um had um say that you know even if half of those lorries were using electricity uh, to get from one point to another can you imagine the infrastructure required to get enough ampage into all those vehicles to to charge them up to get them up up on the road, and the reason why I mention that example is because presumably have that same problem uh, when it comes to things like aviation. I mean, you you know, there's a lot lot of aircraft in the world. I mean, short of them sort of maybe being able to sort of get enough power out of the sun, if you like, to to keep their batteries topped up. I mean, this is a huge. Uh, think I mean I, I mean I don't even know if hybrid would uh, I mean do you know never this is a bit of a long shot do you know much about like the hybrid vehicles and stuff like and you know I mean is that an option well I, I, all I would say is that the jet engine has become incredibly reliable yes. and uh, the more modern ones certainly in the, in the last 
six years or so have been incredibly fuel efficient. And a quick stat for you. Oh, good. It does like go back stat. to 20, 2017, but it says uh, they reckon about uh, half a million people are estimated to be up in the air at any given time. And if the average length of a flight is, say, two hours, that means that six million people fly somewhere every day, which is nearly 0.1% of the entire entire world's population. That is from a, a statistic from May uh, 2017. But okay. so imagine, you know, how efficient this is of, of um, you know, a, a good way of moving a lot of people um, long distances. And, and that's still going to take some beating. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the jet engine, yeah. um, for all its, you know, environmental um uh, criticisms from time to time yeah uh, there is nothing that, that beats that mode of uh, propulsion at the moment and nothing that will do it as efficiently uh, let's be honest this, is, this yeah. is the thing actually an interesting thing tony's yeah. just said in the chat room here um he was saying that the next step for uh, trucks and coaches is to make them more aerodynamic to reduce fuel consumption and i completely understand what he means by that because i'm not going to lie my basically my massive greenhouse on wheels has the aerodynamic properties of a house brick i mean it's it, it, there is no unlike unlike the banana the legend that is the nev banana which has all these sleek lines and all that kind of thing it is essentially a big you know it's it's it's, it's a rectangle on wheels and even the newer ones you're right they've got a couple of um you know they have got some sort of alterations if you like to try and do something about them but they are still essentially an oblong block but moving along on six six or eight wheels depending on the configuration <laughs> yeah and I'll, I'll wrap sort of this story up with I'm, I'm looking at frontier airlines history and they started out 30 years ago with uh 737 200s and 300s which were about as uh, environmentally conscious as clubbing a baby seal on the head. Uh, <laughs> That's an unusual then, analogy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, and they replaced those with A318s, 319s, and then mm -hmm. just in you know 2013 they started replacing those, and you know now we're talking about the A320 Neo. So uh, I guess you you can't, you shouldn't not do anything. Uh, so if you can do something, then go ahead and, and do it and you know sort of do your part yeah agreed a great point in the chat room here actually neil neil lamborn has said maybe trucks with jet engines it's the future i like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that's the way forward we we actually saw one of those at oshkosh there was a truck with a jet engine and it was racing a no something that, that turns it into a hot rod, surely. I mean, it's just like... I mean, it's going 300 miles per hour. So. <laughs> yeah, wasn't hanging about. Uh, right, Nev, do you want to take the next story then, please? Yes, uh, this is on the uh, independent.co.uk, and uh, this is all about uh, our data. And it says that uh, an airline has defended its collection of customers' personal data as it admits to recording passengers when they are on board the aircraft. Oh. Cathay Pacific has updated its privacy policy to say that it will collect and process information such as use of our in-flight entertainment system and in-flight connectivity and images captured via CCTV and in our airport lounges and aircraft. Uh, the reason for the CCTV capture, according to the carrier, is for security purposes. Uh, the new privacy policy follows a massive data hack for the airline. Last year, Cathay Pacific warned that nine, some 9.4 million customers 
may have had their personal data stolen. The breach included passport details and credit card numbers, although the airline said that it had found no evidence that any personal information had been misused. Wow. Uh, there are only... Uh, 7.5 million residents in Hong Kong where the airline is based. The breach is equivalent to every resident having their data stolen more than once. Uh, but meanwhile, the carrier denied that its onboard entertainment systems had seatback cameras or microphones installed in them. In a statement, a spokesperson said, our in-flight entertainment systems do not have any cameras, microphones or sensors to monitor passengers, nor have they in the past. In February, three of the world's biggest airlines admitted that some of their planes had seatback cameras installed in the entertainment systems. American Airlines, United Airlines and Singapore Airlines have new seatback entertainment systems that include cameras. It's possible that they could be on planes used by other carriers. Uh, but in a privacy policy, the airline also says it will share customers' data with government and regulatory bodies and other individuals, bodies and organisations, either for its legal obligations or for the general reasons of safety and security regarding legal and administrative purposes. The airline defended its use of personal data in its statement. We will retain the personal data as long as it is necessary to fulfill business needs, it says. Uh, the information that is no longer needed is either uh, irreversibly anonymized or securely destroyed. In line with standard practice and to protect our customers and frontline staff, there are CCTV cameras installed in our airport lounges and onboard camera, one camera positioned near the cockpit door for security purposes. All images are handled sensitively with strict access controls. There are no CCTV cameras installed in the lavatories. Oh, well, that, that, is, that is great news. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, do you know, I'm going to be slightly controversial here, Nev. Uh, see, see how you feel about this. I mean, I think, I think it was the BBC or it was a panorama investigation or something like that. And it was genuinely quite horrifying how much you are actually recorded when you're just going about your daily business i mean obviously when you walk through security in the airport and stuff i mean the amount of data that is gathered you know about you while you are just going you know the minute you arrive in the terminal building to working your way around even duty free or anything like that and you know obviously going on the plane is it so unreasonable to expect to the the airlines to be gathering the same amount of data as the actual airport when you're away is that so bad i mean if they are genuinely using it for you know i mean the shop the shop that you go into in the high street say in norwich as an example is you know taking video footage of you as you walk in they're they're sort of like pinging your your wi-fi connection to get data and get ideas about your shopping habits and where you're going within the store because i know that some of them will triangulate your position and stuff I mean, this is essentially happening all day. Is it so bad that the airlines are using those same systems as well? I don't have a real problem with it. I, I have a problem with these data breaches, yes. uh, especially when it is to do with credit card information mm -hmm. and or passport information. I think that is, uh, has the potential of being extremely bad. But of course, this whole process starts when you go onto the internet to book your flight or you phone up your travel agent from your mobile phone. You know, your, your data is being gathered 
at every stage and everything that you do uh, mm. these days. So uh, I have no real problem with it, but I'd say they, they have to do, um, they have to get better at preventing these uh, external hacks or the loss of data in the first place. Absolutely, no, and I completely agree with you there. But uh, I mean, Armando, I'm, I'm just sort of, sort of spitballing a bit here really as i say i mean again it's like you know these these little i mean i've i've got in front of me and jenny right now i mean obviously we've got two cameras in front of us because we're doing a youtube show that's obviously very different but in front of me i've got my laptop here it's got a webcam built into it now that's my laptop obviously i would be horrified if somebody had remotely accessed that and was say looking at you know looking at me looking at my computer but bearing in mind that you're on you're on an airplane um and you know we hear stories of people kicking off um, because they're drunk or, or whatever is it really so bad that they're using the technology that's in the plane would it really be that bad if they were using the cctv you know essentially using that camera as cctv to monitor the people that are, are in the in the air i mean as i say as long as they're not sort of you know in the lavatories or anything like that i mean it, it, is it so uh, so different to how we're having to live our lives anyway jenny what right do you think so oh, what do jenny? i think yeah well, sorry i, I think that the same as you matt like you, uh, it's all right until it isn't <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. I, yeah, I, I suppose it's also, I suppose it's also who they're sharing it with. Mm. I mean, is that the, is is, is the, I mean, as long as they're only sharing it, sort of, you know, that they're, they're storing it, and then if the police request the CCTV footage, um, yeah. and sort of ask to to look at it, is it that? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's all over the place. So when I came in through Stansted through the passport control, and I've got the electronic passport, mm. and you stand there, and it looks at you. And it took a picture of me as well as I went through because I you could see it how I was dressed yeah. that day and going on. I thought, oh. Hello, yeah, no, I look all right, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's. I, I mean, this is happening in the states as well. I'm on, though, I assume. I mean, it's. Yeah. So this is strictly my own personal opinion here, um, having lived in Europe for six years and in the UK, and then having studied. Uh, basically homeland security uh, there is an example to be looked at in europe where you uh, the europeans and, and and the brits have managed to find this balance between privacy and security um, and wherever you stand on that argument uh, you cannot argue how effective it is and and how it how efficient it is at fighting crime um, especially in the UK having lived over there how quickly I was always impressed at at how how quickly they can find these mm -hmm. these criminals and and you know any unfortunate incidents uh, the investigations are, are very much um, concluded quicker at least let off quicker you know the first couple hours by being able to reach into some of that footage um, now London walking around London is it is an open secret that that you are constantly under surveillance whether those are private systems or public systems and what databases they're connected to it's something that people have just come to grips with and riding on a bus in Cambridge uh, from from the car park into the town center well, there's there's about seven or eight cameras on that on that bus on that park and ride bus uh, now arguably the risk factor in an air 
an aircraft is so much greater that I personally have absolutely no problem mm. uh, having cameras mm. on an aircraft where you could inflict so much more damage um, and there's so many more lives at stake than, than on a Cambridge park and ride bus yeah. um, th that I would be okay with it. D does it need to be the in-flight entertainment system? Probably not. Uh, and, and they probably won't make that happen. Um, but if you, you know, if you do install cameras in, in the aircraft, I, th I think it would help at least in, in developing trends, um, maybe some behavioral algorithms where you can detect, and this is the way we're, we're going, you know, biometrics is, was mm. so passe, but now you're talking about behavioral um, indicators where somebody may, may be displaying signs of, of uh, nefarious activity or, or nervousness or, you know, and now you, you start talking about uh, human trafficking. Uh, well, mm -hmm. you know, you can tap a little bit of that too with, with these security systems. Um, now here in the U.S., we, we're, we're much more, I guess, uh, much more likely to fight for our personal rights than, than over in Europe. But, that's, but that all boils down to everything that you guys are talking about. It's because of cybersecurity. Um, because the cybersecurity aspect is just not there yet. Yeah, this is true. I mean, That's all mine. Yeah, no, that I, and I completely agree with you. I mean, uh, it's uh, Nev. Do you want to just sort of run through? So there's some great comments in the chat room. Actually, um, they're having a, they're having a discussion about like um, the, the the security implications and stuff. As I say, uh, on on my. I say I'm I'm very much like with with Armando a bit like it's like I, I really I'm really not bothered if that camera mm. on the aeroplane yeah. that's in front of me on the on the you know the in-flight entertainment system I weirdly I don't have a problem with that sort of watching me mm. do you know what I mean because I'm in a public space anyway so I shouldn't be doing something that is not okay for me to, I mean you know and if somebody really wants to sit there watching me sleep I mean you know they, they need to get out more, but, you know, knock yourself out. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that, you know. Anyway, what, what are they saying in the chat room, Nev? Yeah, interesting uh, comments uh, from Micah, actually, and uh, a quote from uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, who, says, uh, that, who said that uh, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety uh, deserve neither liberty nor safety. It's very deep, um, isn't it? <laughs> Richard Adams says that vast amounts of the cameras have no security whatsoever and uh, often yep. internet connect. Uh, many users, especially of those home security uh, systems, don't realize that they're streaming live. And that's, mm. uh, that's very true. So, yeah, I, and I think that this whole uh, thing, uh, yeah, there is a massive difference between uh, the way the US feels about it and the rest of Europe, I would say, and, and other parts of the world too. So th this is something which has been... Uh, well, it happened long before 9-11, but since 9-11 and yeah. other things, other terrorist attacks mm. uh, since then, there's just been, you might say, complete security overload, and I'm actually okay with it. But what I'm not okay with, as I mentioned before, is, is these data breaches yeah. and uh, mm. backdoor hacks that would have been going on. And of course, you've got that risk, as again, Richard Adam is, Adam is saying, Tony's saying, and that you have got that big issue of privacy, and there's no guarantee that people aren't aren't able, because of weak security, able to mm -hmm. access that CCTV information. Um, that you know, I don't, as you say, I don't mind the airline having it, you don't mind the security services having access to it, but you know, 
it wouldn't take somebody with half an ounce of of computer skill to be able to hack most CCTV systems. Let's be honest. I mean, apart from yours, Nev, obviously yours will be locked down. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm going to check that after the show. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, we'll uh, we'll move on to the next story. This is on wired.com and the headline is a Boeing code leak. We're talking about security here. A Boeing code leak exposes security flaws deep in a 787's gut, which is a slightly worrying story. Uh, late one night last September, security researcher Ruben Santamana uh, sat in his home office in Madrid and partook in some creative Googling, searching for technical documents relating to his year, years-long obsession, the cybersecurity of airplanes. Uh, he was surprised to discover a fully unprotected server on Boeing's network, seemingly full of code, des code designed to run the company's giant 737 and 787 passenger jets left publicly accessible and open to anyone who found it so he downloaded everything he could see now clearly a year later uh, this gentleman claims that leaked code has led him to something unprecedented security flaws in one of the 787 Dreamliner's components deep in the plane's multi-tiered network he suggests that for a hacker exploiting those bugs could represent one step in a multi-stage attack that starts in the plane's in-flight entertainment system and extends to highly protected safety critical systems like flight controls and sensors. Boeing flatly denies that such an attack is possible and it rejects his claim of having discovered a potential path to pull it off. Uh, Santamana himself uh, admits that he doesn't have a full enough picture of the aircraft or access to a 250 million dollar jet to confirm his claims but he and other avionics cybersecurity researchers who have reviewed his findings argue that while a full-on cyber attack on a plane's most sensitive systems remains far from a material threat the flaws un uncovered in the 787's code nonetheless represent a troubling lack of attention to cyber security from Boeing. They also say that the company's responses have not been altogether reassuring given the critical importance of keeping commercial airplanes safe from hackers. At the Black Hat Security Conference today in Las Vegas, uh, Santa Mana, a researcher for security firm IO Active, uh, ha plans uh, to represent his uh, to present his findings, including the details of multiple serious security flaws in the code for a component of the 787 known as Crew Information Service slash Maintenance System. Uh, the CISMS is responsible for applications like maintenance systems and the so-called electronic flight bag, a collection of navigation documents and manuals used by pilots. Uh, Santamana says he found a, uh, a slew of memory corruption vulnerabilities in that CISMS and he claims that a hacker could use those flaws as a foothold inside a restricted part of a planes network an attacker could potentially pivot um, Santa Mana says with the in-flight entertainment system to the CIS MS to send commands to far more sensitive components that control the planes safety critical systems including its engine brakes and sensors uh, Boeing maintains that other security barriers in the 787's network architecture would make that progression impossible. I won't go uh, into further detail because it is a very technical document and it's talking about firewalls and all that kind of thing which will basically mean that only me and Nev will understand it so um, we'll sort of leave it there but I mean 
I mean, this, I don't know, on the one, one hand, I'm very skeptical about this, um, but I mean, I was doing some research actually, because as I say, Carlos sent these these out um, last night, and I was actually doing some research, and um, you know, this, this um, uh, Ruben Santamana has got quite a pedigree involving cyber security, so I have to confess, I do find this article slightly worrying. What, what do you reckon, Nev? Well, um, as a mere amateur looking in from the outside here, I think it's very difficult to um, work out what the what the real story is. Um, obviously, the manufacturers will say one thing, yeah. and uh, other people uh, looking at security issues will look at something else. I don't actually know, to be perfectly honest with you, and I, and I think no one really does know. Um, but it, clearly, as we have more and more connected things so whether it's wi-fi on your plane or, or whatever it is you know uh, you've always got to be on the lookout for anything which uh, external can can give a problem so i think you know they will have thought about all this right at the beginning of the mm. whole thing so i i personally think um that you know boeing knows know what they're doing with these these kind of things but uh, it's always interesting to read uh, the other side of the uh, the coin isn't it yeah, I, I, and of course, I mean, I mean, the, the the article sort of rather indicates that uh, somebody could, I mean, it's sort of indicating that maybe somebody could take control of the aircraft while it's in the air. In reality, I mean, the, you know, I, I, I wouldn't imagine. I don't know. I mean, I suppose you could put a virus into it or, or something. But at the end of the day, that's why you've got a pilot in there. I mean, he's going to know surely if 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 the plane is is sort of not following the course that he was expecting or, or something like that. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, perhaps it's just, uh, everybody's got it in for Boeing a bit, I think, at the moment, haven't they? Yeah. You know, that's a, really, yeah. that's a really good question. I wonder if the pilots would have any indication. I'd, I don't believe so. I, you know, I've read, uh, I haven't read the 787 manuals, but mm. um, in most of the aircraft manuals that I like to read at night to go to sleep, um, <laughs> I've never read of any error messages. Um, I, I mean, you could get a, like a CNIMU message or something that says there's a fault with the system, but it, I don't know of anything that would tell you that there's a hack, an active hack or something going on. Um, that's, a, that's a really good question. And I was reading ahead in the article and there's three different networks on the uh, 787 you know, one and like like Micah's talking about um, the one is basically the in-flight entertainment system. Another one is medium systems, and then the last, the common data network, is the plane's avionics and safety systems. And it would be interesting to see what safeguards they have put in place to keep those three networks separate. But and then for the record, I know what a firewall is. It is the the portion that separates the engine compartment from the cabin. So. Uh, yes, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, let, let's stick with that. Yeah, yeah, well, we like that. I mean, Jenny, does does this, something like this make you feel a bit nervous as a passenger, or is it does it not even sort of bother you? Well, since I don't under, understand all the technical <laughs> stuff, n not really, because I mean, who is going to who's going to take advantage of it? Not True. many people in no. the world are actually going to be bad enough. And to they're certainly going not going to have that. the skills. And probably yeah. statistically speaking, not on the flight that I'm on, so I'm right. not going to worry okay. about it. <laughs> This is what I like statistics. This is this this is the answer. It's uh, well, it's an interesting one, I suppose. Uh, Armando, did you want to take the next story, please? All right. This is the 
triple seven one, correct? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't look that far ahead. Uh, where are we? Uh, there's a video attached to this. That's one, it. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one yeah. I'm working on. Yeah, I'm really professional at this, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so Boeing has released a video that Matt will play, show, showcasing the interior of its latest long haul product, the triple seven X. Fanfare around the de development of the triple seven X has been muted as Boeing struggles with a drop in customer confidence and public perception following its fatal Boeing 737 MAX 8 disasters. The, oh boy, I feel like we should have a bell every time we mention the MAX 8. Um, <laughs> Ding. Launch, yeah, that and Brexit. Yeah, oh, um, dear. So launching a new long-haul aircraft is usually a major event for companies like Boeing, but this year there was no red carpet or bells and whistles when the first 777X rolled out of the factory. In fact, its reveal barely made the headlines. Not here in P2K, though. No. Um, <laughs> we covered it. Absolutely. Uh, this, the 777X has features that make it one of the most unique airliners on the market. A massive wingspan that has folding uh, wingtips. Uh, the aircraft has inherited larger windows from its sister aircraft, the 787 Dreamliner as well as a lower air pressurization to reduce jet lag. With the aircraft still around a year away from its first delivery, more than 300 have been ordered by airlines such as Lufthansa and Cathay Pacific. Emirates alone. Uh, the first test flight is scheduled for early 2020, a year Boeing will hope brings less turbulence than 2019. You see, the, the, what happened here is you finished reading the story and I'd only just started playing the video. Uh, <laughs> it's a shame. On the audio podcast, let me tell you, it's beautiful. It's more spacious. <laughs> we'll just narrate the video. Yeah, designed to delight. Uh, <laughs> it's like the desserts a chance. Yeah, it's got larger windows, a view of the sky from everywhere. <laughs> so I, sh I should have my full-on, you know, sort of like voiceover guy. Senses awakened, the sky celebrated. No, okay. Uh, the air cleaner, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm under. Uh, Nev, you don't seem very impressed. Uh <laughs> well, no, it's. Uh, I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not normally easily pleased at all, as, as you know. No. So, no. <laughs> um, so yes, no, it's, it's very, very nice. It's a very, very beautiful bit of kit. There we are. All right. So, uh, shall we move on from that particular car crash? Nev, would you like to take the next one, please? It's on the <laughs> Forbes.com website, and the headline says, Would you please buy used Airbus A380? Well, are you looking for a great new entrepreneurial opportunity? Why not buy some used Airbus A380s and start your own airline? Second-hand aircraft have been a launching pad for billionaires from Sir Richard Branson, who started Virgin Atlantic with a used 747, to the late uh, Kirk Kirkorian, who uh, turned a used DC-3 into an airline asset. He later uh, parlayed uh, is that right? Apollade into ownership of MGM. Such an opportunity may be here again for the right and well financed entrepreneur. Since Airbus announced the coming end of the A380 manufacturer, uh, airlines such as Singapore, Lufthansa, and most recently Air France have been rushing towards the exits of A380 ownership. 
recent reports about possible wing cracks in early models uh, may provide added impetus. Reports are that seven Airbus A380 aircraft are in storage in France, almost 3% of the total of 238 manufacture. A pair have reportedly been scrapped altogether. <clears throat> Excuse me. Still, all of the potential airline mogul needs to do is to create a startup airline or charter or possibly a freight carrier with routes that can keep a 500-seat A380 or two packed full. With seven planes parked and more coming, uh, Lufthansa is retiring its aircraft to the manufacturer as part of a deal for new equipment. Uh, Airbus will no doubt cut you a sweet deal on a used A380 original list price, $446 million. Uh, there is just one problem. The budding airline entrepreneur will need to figure out how to make money with the airplane. Apparently something that neither most airlines <laughs> or airlines have figured out. Uh, an exception may be Emirates, which owns 111 of the world's 238 A380 aircraft and has aggressively used them to build traffic through Dubai Airport, which leads the world in annual international travelers with 88 million. Uh, ironically, Virgin Atlantic, the creation of entrepreneur Sir Richard Branson, was a launch customer for the A380, ordering six back in 2001. It final, finally cancelled the order in 2018 without ever taking delivery. Uh, whilst entrepreneurs willing to take a chance on the A380 can no doubt get a substantial discount off the list price, the plane's cost of operation and maintenance remains substantial. You'll need a, uh, still need a large crew. Uh, Qantas operates the plane with three in the cockpit and 21 in the cabin, and pay a cost of operation estimated at between $26,000 to $29,000 per hour, uh, one of the highest in the airline industry. Uh, those four engines are thirsty. Uh, that cost includes roughly $17,467 worth of fuel. Um, so uh, the article goes on somewhat, but it's interesting, isn't it, that the most successful operation of this has been in the Middle East, where mm. uh, Emirates have done a really good job of getting Dubai as the uh, halfway point, if you like, between Europe and Australia and New Zealand and well, on the Far East. And of course, I mean, so, uh, uh, to be, I mean, uh, to to be fair, like especially like with their long haul network. I mean, Malaysia um, um, Airways do something similar, where if you want mm. to go to for New Zealand, for example, you go from London to Kuala Lumpur and then Kuala Lumpur on to either New Zealand or Australia or wherever it it was. As I say, in Emirates are sort of doing a very similar thing with their with their their thing. But then I, I, I this is the the thing. I, I, uh, th those things are full when they, you know. Well, I mean, we all know somebody who who works quite regularly on the A380 now, and and those mm. routes are full. You know, it, it, it it's. Uh, I'm amazed that people like, you know, if if someone like Emirates can make it pay. I mean, presumably there's that same scope in the market for someone like Virgin to to operate similar routes and. Uh, and and do that, or or do you think it's perhaps exclusively because of the, you know, in Dubai a lot of people are flying to different places because it is, you know, a, a much busier place. That, I mean, far busier than say even London when it when it comes to to stuff like that. I mean, what do you reckon, Ned? Yeah, it's difficult, difficult, difficult to know, isn't it, really? But uh, of course, the uh, airlines tend to make most of their money in the premium cabins. So it's in the business and first class sections of the aircraft where they're making most money. Um, and but as you say, uh, even in the economy seats, uh, I don't hear much about 
uh, half-empty Airbus A380s, I've got to say. No. So, um, yeah, I, I think, well, it, clearly the the maintenance and the crew cross, the costs to operate these are very substantial. And yeah. I think this is a, playing a big part uh, in, in the way airlines are thinking at the moment. And, of course, four engines rather than two as well. It's... Uh, you know, perhaps yeah. that's the, the 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 main reason. I mean, Jenny, have you ever been on an A380? No, and I'd love to though. Yeah, this is it. Uh, Armando, have you have you um, flown on an A380? Never been on an A380. I'd love to fly on one before they all retire. Mm. <laughs> well, I think we're all going to have to be quick. Uh, yeah. Never have you had the pleasure. I know you've been on no, one then, to have a wander round. Yeah, that's the only. I went in, was the one at Farnborough uh, when uh, Al and myself went uh, went round it. But um, no, I've not flown on one yet. But uh, yeah, I need to uh, do that before uh, there aren't many around. And I know from a crew point of view, a lot of a lot of crew don't enjoy it anywhere near as much. You know, like the, if if you gave them an A three eighty or a triple triple seven, they they would go with a triple seven mm. every time. Certainly from from a work point of view. Why is that? Um, I, I think more to do with the way that, um, way that it's laid out from like carts, from where, where the carts are and things like that. So mm. from, from an operator's point of view, it's, it's, uh, the, the 777 is, is less hassle than, than the A380. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, I don't know. There's something. I, I see. I, I look at the and I, I know I mentioned this a few weeks back, but I, I look at the A380 the same way that a lot of people look at the 74 now you know i look at it and and have that same sort of weird sort of love and i hope that you know that it has a life as a as a cargo carrier um perhaps when when the you know the passenger variants have all come to are there many a380 cargo planes i i feel i need to look that up i don't think there are any there there was no, not a no. a380 freighter uh, produced i mean surely the sheer size of it would make it um a, a great way of getting an awful lot of cargo from, you know, one part of the world to another. I don't know. I think also the problem you is uh, converting, you know, doing a conversion uh, from mm. a primarily, well, you know, exclusively passenger aircraft into a cargo one is a massive undertaking in, in terms of design and cost yeah. and True. all sorts of things. Um, now, an option would be, you know, based on my, my background, a uh, troop carrier. Mm. Yeah. That would be an excellent. An excellent ah. way to get 400 troops from, from one, one spot place to another fairly quickly. Yeah, no, that is a good point. That's a good point. Anyway, we'll move on to the next story. This is on simpleflying.com, and the headline is Vietnam Airlines set to retire the final Airbus A330. Vietnam Airways is about to retire the last of its Airbus A330s since announcing an ambitious program of fleet modernization in 2014. The carrier has systematically replaced its aging rolling stock of a mix of A350-900s, uh, Boeing 787s and the A321neos. Uh, Vietnam's phasing out of the A330 runs in tandem with the carrier's overwhelming desire for and purchase of new generation narrowbody jets. Despite a slowdown in its rate of growth in the latter part of last year, the carrier now appears to be back on course and likely to invest in 50 narrowbody jets by 2025. Uh, over half of the carrier's recent narrowbody purchases have uh, supplanted its uh, 777-200ERs and A330-200s. Uh, the 777s, of which there were originally eight, finally retired from service in 2017. Uh, on the question of which company
company will receive the order for the glut of Vietnamese narrow bodies. The jury is out in an interview with Flight Global, the f airline's boss, uh, who I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that because it will end up being terribly offensive. Anyway, this particular individual said, by definition, it's a narrow body and whether it's a Boeing or an Airbus, it is open for consideration. When the fleet is below 50 to 70, there is a need to have a common type. Uh, fleet replacement. Uh, according to Kappa, Vietnam's 63-year-old carrier currently operates three A330-200s, 12 A350-900s, three ATR-72-500s and 11 787-9s. Specifically, the company's narrowbody fleet comprises of 54 A321-200s and 11 A321neos. The A321-200s are on average 8.3 years old. Industry inside suggest the government-owned airline will choose either the A320neo or the 737 MAX if slash when it's recertified. Oh, there we are. Sorry, Armando. Uh, the carrier already has three Airbus A320neos on order from Chinese uh, Lisa uh, AC, uh, ICBC. Uh, these are expected to be delivered in the early part of 2020. For CEO uh, Tran... Sorry, uh, leasing remains on the table due to a backlog of orders at both manufacturers. Um, it says ambition. So the new narrow bodies will allow the airline to concentrate its efforts on the lucrative Northeast Asian markets of South Korea and Japan, regardless of the problems with the MAX and the pitch instability of the A321neo. The carrier hopes to accelerate its expansion into North Asia by the end of this year. Uh, Wright Kappa, CEO uh, Than says uh, he, st he still expects to receive his entire order of the 20 A321neos by the end of 2019. This will run in tandem with the phasing out of the current engine option um, uh, version of the type. Meanwhile, the advent of Boeing's midsize 787-10 and its use on long-haul routes will allow the carrier to open a new secondary route uh, using its narrowbody manifest. Uh, by doing it, it can maximize its short and long haul activities in the blossoming Vietnamese aviation industry. Well, there we are. That's uh, that's an interesting one. So, uh, I don't know. It's uh, I have to say, given all the trouble that's going on at the moment, you can't help but feel that maybe they're going to choose Airbus over Boeing at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, it could happen, couldn't it? And uh, obviously, they're they're looking for flexibility uh, by using uh, you know narrow body fleet as, as well. So uh, yeah, be interesting mm. to see what they end up with. I love that in that article, the ATR seventy two was squished between the A three fifty and the seven eight seven, and then they talked about its narrow body fleet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you do. Yes, <laughs> I see what you did there. It's uh, go on then. We're going to have to ask the question now: Jenny, Airbus or Boeing? Well, I like both of them, to be oh, honest. That's such. That no, I, is do, so, I, I do. I yeah, I'm going. I might wait for a while before getting on a Mac. On a Mac, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. I mean, uh, come on, Nev. You must have a preference, surely. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm the same as Jenny, actually. I like the uh, Boeing 787, for example, um, but I'm hoping that Carlos and I will be on the A350 in ah, November right. when we go to the Dubai Air Show. So that will be the real sort of a test to yeah. see wh which one is better. But, um, yeah, I, I like the Air, uh, Airbus with all the short haul flying that I, that I do. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm impressed with the uh, Dreamliner on the long haul sectors. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, Armando. Given those two choices, I am a fan of Boeing. Oh, see, and that, and that weirdly, I'm I'm an Airbus fan. Right. But then, I, I, and I and I I I know it's a bit of a, a running joke, but I do have you know I, I I've been on Boeing a couple of times, and um, in both you know it was the seven the seven five and the seven six, neither of them were particularly fantastic. I know, admittedly, they're older. Examples of of what's in their fleet. So yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a I'm definitely I I love the the A320. I think it's a a fantastic um, uh, aircraft, and because it depends on the on the configuration inside. But uh, even for a big guy like me, um, and, and I mean it was EasyJet that I was flying with, and I was surprised at even a big guy like me how much room I had as as a as a you know sort of cattle class passenger. Anyway, we'll move on to the next story before I get into trouble. Uh, and <laughs> Armando, the next one is with you. All right, this is from the Points Guy. Uh, the what? And now? I don't know. How, uh, the it's from Thrillists. Just kidding. Oh, okay. the Points Guy. The Points Guy. The, the, just kidding. Yeah. So uh, from Thrillist, uh, these are the best and worst airports in America this year. Oh, dear. so. Yeah, so whether you're a seasoned <laughs> flight attendant with professional packing secrets or just a casual traveler, you've likely seen your fair share of American airports and made the mental note of how the good ones, uh, of the good ones, maybe it's the food court, short security lines, uh, whatever the case, there's no denying certain travel hubs are great at what they do, while others seem to exist just to make your blood boil. <laughs> now we have a better sense, which spots are on either end of that spectrum thanks to a new ranking of the best and worst airports in america uh, it is produced by the points guy who tapped into hard statistics and their own personal experience to put together this list uh how do you want to run this match well i think what we'll do is we'll, we'll i'll tell you what we'll just we'll just run with the do do 10 um and uh so we'll do the the top 10 25 best airports in america 2019 and we'll just uh, just just wha just whack through them that's probably the easiest thing well right on so the 10 best airports in america number 10 was john wayne orange county airport uh number nine indianapolis international airport uh, number eight norm mineta san jose international airport number seven San Francisco International Airport. Number six, Seattle Tacoma International Airport. Number five, Sacramento. Number four, Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport. Number three, Portland. Number two, Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. And the best airport in America is San Diego International. So, so have, have any of you guys had any experience with any of those airports in, in that top 10 there? I mean, never have you flown to any of those bases? 
let me have a look. Yes, San Francisco I have. Um, and I think I'll be going to Port Portland, uh, Oregon, uh, at some point in the next few months. So uh, I will have a, a, a try of that one. Mm. And see how that goes. I mean, how, how did San Francisco, from memory, sort of rate with you? I mean, is it worthy of being in said list? Well, to be honest with you, this was you know 15 years ago from the okay, last time right. I was in San Francisco. So things have probably changed, and certainly the traffic has got far worse in terms of the number of passengers mm. and the number of aircraft using the terminals I would imagine. It was busy then I can just imagine how busy what? it is now but you know they, they do it, it's a major hub um, for a lot of airlines and so it's an important uh, important place to go. Indeed, uh, Obviously Armando as our American correspondent uh, are there any of those uh, on that list there that you've, you've flown into or out of? Uh, yeah I've been to most of them I have never been to Portland but uh, the rest of them I will agree with the list. I think they were all pretty good. And just for the record, Charlotte Douglas International Airport was number 13 best. Ah, very good. Yes, of course, that's local to you, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, um, although hey. not right now because there's an incredible amount of construction going on there and it oh, looks like you're a third world country. But <laughs> Okay, good. Right to say. So maybe, maybe well, this, hopefully this was from last year, therefore it doesn't, doesn't feature. Have yeah. you flown into any of those, Jenny? No, no, no. Been to mm. Canada, but not to the states. Oh, okay. Oh, have you have you never been to the states? I went by Greyhound bus from Canada to <laughs> New York. It was a mistake. <laughs> Goodness me, that <laughs> must have been a heck of a journey. <laughs> yeah. So by by sheer comparison, then Armando, if you want to just whack through the 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 top ten worst uh, airports in America. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of these will surprise anyone. Right. Uh, number. <laughs> Number 10, worst airport in America, which is unfortunately where I grew up, oh. Luis Nos Marin International Airport in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Now, I do disagree with that one because Megan and I were just there a couple weeks ago, and it was actually quite a pleasant experience. Okay. In fact, more pleasant than Charlotte under construction. Okay, right. Okay. Uh, so, sorry, points guy, I disagree with you. Number Good. nine, worst airport, Hobby Airport in Houston. Number eight, Cleveland Hopkins International Airport. Number seven, Louis Armstrong, New Orleans International Airport. Number six, no surprise, LaGuardia. Uh, number five, Southwest Florida International Airport, which is Fort Myers, just south of Tampa. Number four, Detroit, Wayne County Airport. Number three, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood International Airport. Number two, Orlando International Airport. And the number one, Worst airport is Chicago Midway. Okay. I mean, do you agree with that? I mean, would you say that's pretty horrendous? I've never been to Midway. All of the other ones I have been to, and pretty accurate. But I mean, Nev. I mean, this is a bit of a bit of a long shot here. But do you think some of this is because? I mean, let, let's use Orlando. Obviously, we all know Orlando because it is a, you know, there's a very rather well-known sort of set of, um, you know theme park shall we say quite close by I mean is it just horrendous because of the sheer volume of people that are flying into it I think also that what happens is that many international flights tend to land um, you know sort of uh, lunchtime onwards or you know mid-afternoon or towards the early evening and so I would imagine that the airport gets overwhelmed fairly quickly and of course at the end of the day 
normally about four o'clock in the afternoon, there's a massive thunderstorm in Orlando. <laughs> so first of all, that just messes everything up on the yeah. apron. There's uh, aircraft that can't park on the gate and all sorts of things. So that's probably a contributory factor, certainly in the, in the you know, the, the high summer months as well. But um, yeah, it's, it's all about how these things are dealt with. But yes, the sheer numbers of people uh, going through uh, Orlando are uh, significant. Yeah. So we, we have uh, from our live field correspondents. Oh, good. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> live feedback. Uh, Rick Bell hates anything in the New York metropolitan area. So number right. one, Newark. Uh, number two, LaGuardia. Number three, JFK is his votes for, top, for the worst airports. And Dr. Steph uh, concurs with Newark and LaGuardia. And she adds uh, Chicago O'Hare to the, her top three oh, worst okay. airports. I have to say, I mean, I flew into... I, I flew into um, um, oh, which one did I fly into? Um, my brain's gone. Sorry. Uh, it, you went into Newark. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, because it, it wasn't JFK. It was it. Yes. So it was. I I went into Newark, and I have to say, uh, my experience at Newark was was very pleasant. It was sort of straight in, straight out. We were out. I mean, we were through security and out. I mean, from the time that our plane landed to the, or the time that our plane landed to being outside and waiting for our uh, our shuttle bus was was forty five minutes, which I didn't think was too bad going at all, but. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's let's flow. The, let's f uh, throw this out the other way. Uh, we'll start with Nev. Where is the worst airport that you have ever flown into? What uh, US or anywhere? Anywhere, anywhere in the world. Let's just throw it out there to, to worst location you've ever been. You've ever flown into. I mean, it might be the country as well that makes it unpleasant. I don't know. <laughs> Luton. Oh dear. <laughs> That's fair Sorry. enough. <laughs> it's just dire and I can't stand it. In fact, I can barely stand to drive there to drop anybody off, right. even if I'm not flying anywhere. <laughs> it's just not my kind of place, I'm afraid. I mean, uh, so yeah. I would just say, in its defense, they have spent an awful lot of money in doing it up. And I have to say, when I went there not that long ago, as you say, to drop some somebody off, I must admit, I, admittedly, I didn't fly through the airport. Um, it, it looked a lot better from the outside um, <laughs> than, than it used to. Um, Jenny, what's the worst airport that you've ever flown into? Well, Luton is pretty bad. Oh, but the, wor <laughs> the worst one was actually down in Cornwall in the southwest of England, Newquay Airport, which is just a ah. hut, basically. It, yes. Okay. Now I'll give you that. Yes, I think there was only Norwich that used to fly in there. I think wasn't it for a while. <laughs> Right now, this should be interesting. Now, obviously, Armando, you've been to an awful lot of airports in your time. Um, obviously, yeah. we're sticking with commercial, not military. I mean, because military is obviously just you know essentially a piece of grass that you can land your plane on. But uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I, what, I am never one to badmouth any airport, but certainly uh, the the two most challenging that came right to mind was Nairobi. Uh, that the Nairobi airport was very in interesting and then ecuador quito ecuador the commercial airport there it was uh uh interesting let's say that i mean what just because of the way you were treated or just the layout of the airport it's or just, it's just chaos right it's just <laughs> as soon as you as soon as the airplane door opens in both of those locations and the humidity and the heat hits you right. and the mosquitoes fly in <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow, you're really selling it. Yeah. Won't <laughs> um, be going there. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you Go what. There. 
we'll, go for an adventure. <laughs> we'll get the we'll get the chat room to to chip in, which it's uh, whichever their were what what the people in the chat room think is their worst airport. We'll come back to that towards the end of this particular segment. But in the meantime, Nev, I think we should move on to the next story, if that's all right. Yes. Now, this is a subject which we touch on every few months, but it's gone a bit quiet recently. But no, it's back in the news again. <laughs> it's on the BBC website, and it says that laser shone on planes oh. landing at Glasgow Airport. Oh. Uh, pilots landing aircraft at Glasgow were forced to take evasive action in the cockpit to protect their vision after they were deliberately targeted by someone shining a laser. Police said five planes were targeted on Monday and Tuesday between uh, 10 o'clock and 11.30 at night. Uh, they believe that the laser was shone within Knightswood Park in the northwest of the city. Uh, police have appealed for anyone with information to contact them. Sergeant Nigel MacDonald said to shine a light at an aircraft is incredibly dangerous and whoever is responsible has shown a total disregard for safety. The consequences of this type of action could be catastrophic. We know that the light came from the area of Knightswood Park and therefore would appeal for anyone who may have seen uh, anyone with a laser light in that area uh, at that time to get in touch with us. A Glasgow Airport spokesman said that incidents such as these are not only extremely dangerous and incredibly reckless, they are also criminal acts. Uh, we would urge anyone who witnesses a laser being shot an aircraft to contact Police Scotland immediately. So, uh, yes, it's just a question of time before this story comes back, mm. isn't it? Every time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I do not quiet, know what the answer it? is. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the answer is, though. I really don't. They've, they've. Uh, it's so difficult to uh, to catch these folks. Isn't that? I mean, is it, I mean, could, well, I suppose it's going to be a bit annoying if pilots have to wear special glasses just because they're coming in to land. But I mean, is you know maybe something to in the same way that you can filter out certain you know polarization and things like that i mean is there a, a filter that you can put on that would uh minimize the impact uh, but you know that that you could wear that wouldn't impact your ability to to do your job i suppose i don't know i mean or people yeah. could just stop being being morons of course yeah <laughs> uh, yes. unfortunately yes. even if the development costs for something as simple as a film that you could apply to the to the aircraft windscreens uh, it's, it'd be so incredibly expensive. Um, I know in, mm. in the military we had some uh, special goggles and, and glasses that we would wear in different uh, situations and they were terribly uncomfortable and, and so expensive that there's no way an airline is going gonna, is gonna to buy special goggles for their pilots. No. Actually, Mike has just said in the chat room here, he's saying that there are new windows being designed for this. Uh, we had a guest on the Airplane Geeks to talk about it a couple of years ago, which is interesting. So perhaps that's the route they're going through. I mean, Lane Street says obviously the answer is, of course, pilotless aeroplanes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Richard Bell saying, is, is it, you might understand this better. What, what, does, what does that say there? Yeah, I think it, it's uh, Ellipse's. Uh, I think air crew laser eye protection system. Oh, okay. Um, oh, so there is. That was the. Yeah, there. But there were. <laughs> they came in this, in this, uh, you know, very hefty case, and we had to protect them. And and if you dropped them, you had to report it. Right. Lost them. It's even worse. But, uh, but I, yeah, there you go. I, I think Rick Bell is is talking about uh, what Micah's talking about. Yeah, oh, probably the a Windows solution is yeah. is more. 
it sort of it sort of makes sense doesn't it uh, yes okay so we'll move on to the next story uh, this is on the people.com website and the headline uh, according to this is about my privacy uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, anyway, there we go. So, contrary to popular belief on the people.com website, uh, a backless plane seat to save space, budget airline speaks out after troubling photo goes viral. Now, I'm sure most of us saw this particular this particular picture of an EasyJet flight where there appeared to be no backs yes. on their seat. EasyJet Airlines had to answer some unusual questions on Tuesday after a photo of a woman sitting in a backless seat on one of their flights went viral on social media. The photo, shared by a Twitter user who claimed it was taken by his partner, uh, showed the woman seated near the aisle with the entire back uh, seat back missing. Uh, and uh, yes there's an interesting picture here which uh, I will try and pop up uh, in a moment however it seems that EasyJet was just as surprised to see a backless seat on one of their flights they responded to the user on Twitter asking him to remove the photograph and message them directly about the incident hi Matthew thanks for bringing this to our attention before we can investigate this we would like could we ask you to remove the photograph and then DM us uh, more info regarding this so that we can best assist you Ross, uh, the airline's Twitter, wrote, uh, presumably taken down because they didn't want uh, anyone else to see it. The user refused to take down the photo, holding the airline accountable. One has to wonder how safe the rest of the plane was. This was her seat, the user added. The lady was moved to a spare seat once the flight was fully boarded. Not sure that would have happened if the flight was full. Uh, my partner took the photo. In a tweet response, the airline sent the user a statement in which they explained that if the flight had been full, two passengers would have been offered an alternative flight as they would not have been permitted to travel in these seats. Um, the airline uh, the airline later issued another statement further explaining that the woman was not permitted to sit in the backless seat as it was a broken one waiting to be repaired. Uh, no passengers were permitted to sit in these seats as they were inoperative awaiting repair. The statement said safety is our highest priority and EasyJet operates its fleet of aircraft in strict compliance with all safety guidelines. Now I must admit I do find this a very odd story for for many reasons. I, I and again, I I'm sorry that I keep having to use um you know my my, my day job as an example here, but if we have uh, a vehicle with a defective seat belt, we are not allowed to, we, we're not allowed to move them to another seat. We are not allowed to use that vehicle until the fault has been rectified. So it's not a case of just moving them to another seat. Technically. I mean, obviously, if you were out in the road, I suppose, you know, if you were already out you, and you had a spare seat, obviously you would do that. But technically, uh, if that, that a faulty seat belt would mean a defect on a vehicle, in regards of whatever that is, it has to be rectified before it goes out on the road. Now, presumably, mm, interesting. Yeah. presumably that would be very much the same in commercial aviation. If there is any kind of defect, especially something like this, which is very safety sort of thing i mean even if you got to even if it had say broken in flight and you then had to you know um, yeah so well in there, there, there is a thing called, called a minimum equipment list and right. um you know there are there are basically 
items that are go or, or no go and there is a big checklist of all of this sort of stuff uh, that the crew go through both in the cockpit and in the cabin as well so in this instance uh, clearly the lady was not flying in that seat there's no question no. about that so they took it out of service and they sat her somewhere else but also uh, I don't think it's reasonable to ground 180 people um, because of a faulty seat that's not going to be used anyway and I have right. been on aircraft before where they've actually taped off areas uh, two or three seats that, that weren't working correctly actually yes so, that's true um, I, yeah, I've seen that myself yeah on on the 75 when we went out to the states and there was uh, there was a row of seats that had been taped off um, and not because like crew were going to be sleeping there or anything like that, but they'd just been taped off. Now, to be fair, they looked okay, but it, perhaps it could have been seat buckle, buckles and things like that. Have you, have you ever come across anything yeah. like that, Jenny? I haven't. I mean, two points, really. I, I don't want to be facetious, but I mean, what happened to the backs of those well, seats? <laughs> yeah, therein lies an interesting One. question. Yes. And, and, and number two, what about the people sitting in the row behind? Was it, could that be a safety issue for them if there was an emergency landing and they had to brace with nothing True. in front of yeah, them? Yeah, you've got nothing in front of you to brace. Yeah, that's a good point, because there are people sitting in the row behind, as you can... Mm. If I pop that uh, photo up again there, because if, if my memory serves, the brace brace is to put your arms crossed and on the, on the, seat. the seat in front of you is that correct uh there, there are several different brace positions you can r wrap your arms underneath your knees and tuck your head in and um uh, it's amazing so, i feel like nev was reading my mind uh, <laughs> the the minimum equipment oh. list is exactly where we go and uh systems and components are you know tiered and depending on redundancies and uh, what kind of flight you're doing, uh, you can absolutely proceed with a flight with inoperative equipment, including things like brake de-ice or thrust reversers uh, being inoperative or a, you know, a certain type of system that you would think would be more critical. But, it, but so a, a seat belt or a seat back uh, is probably uh, not going to ground an airplane. So, okay, that's uh, interesting. Have an eye on the same web wavelength. I don't know who I feel most sorry for. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Armando, as you're in the chair, perhaps you'd be good enough to take the last story, please. Right, from Flight Global, French investigators are probing a ground incident during which a ramp worker suffered serious injuries during a pushback operation. The July 24th event occurred at Paris Charles de Gaulle, Airport as an Air Canada Boeing 777-300ER was preparing for service to Toronto. French authority BEA states that a part of the tow bar fractured and that when it disconnected from the tractor, the aircraft advanced. The bar under tension struck the ramp workers legs. Ouch. Uh, BEA has not disclosed the extent of the injuries, but describes the event as serious. Uh, BEA says the aircraft involved was Charlie Foxtrot November November Quebec, which Sirium's fleet analyzer lists as a 2013 uh, airframe. So this has nothing to do with the airframe. It has to do with the tow bar. Yeah. Uh, so. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, uh, certainly going to hurt. Yeah. So I, there, I, you're 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 taking a, a very heavy tug and a very heavy airplane, and you have this little piece of of metal that's uh, pushing and that's under incredible stress. Uh, like anything else man-made some will fail and uh, I, I work with this daily I work with tow bars and tugs and, and moving airplanes and uh, 
yeah, inevitably something like this. Now it's it's very unfortunate that the uh, ramp worker was injured. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, things like this will happen. Yeah, this is true. Uh, well, that is where the uh, commercial aviation and indeed the news stories for this week come to a close. We have a very interesting uh, video that you're going to share with us now, Armando. Perhaps you could uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll, this, hap this was up in Oshkosh, and we mentioned it before that we were going to do an interview with Tammy Jo Schultz, who was the captain of Southwest uh, Airlines 1380. If you guys don't remember, that was a 737-700 that experienced an uncontained an engine failure um, just departing New York's LaGuardia Airport. They were going to Dallas Love Field, and the debris from the aircraft, uh, or, or from the engine failure, uh, damage the fuselage and, and, and depressurize the aircraft and damage the window. Um, the crew had to conduct an emergency descent and there was one fatality uh, from that incident where the passenger sitting near the window was, was fatally injured. There were other eight other passengers that were received uh, minor injuries. Um, so we're going to start this video off with the ATC audio from our friends over at VAS Aviation or VAS Aviation on YouTube. Um, so uh, listen to Captain Schultz and her first officer um, as they deal with the emergency and then we will roll right into our interview with her. Southwest 1380 has an engine fire descending. Airplane coming in that has an emergency that's pretty serious, so we're going to dump him in front of you. 
No problem. Uh, we're running early, so do what you got to do. 14 and 15. You join Erie there. Maintain 170 knots, please. I'm going to slow you down. Okay. Erie, 170 on the speed. South of 42. American 585, also emergency for you. Being landing in front of you there, so reduce speed to 170. I'll get you right in as soon as you can. Phone to 170, American 585, no problem. Denver 3625, Philly approach. Altimeters 29074, expect the ILS 27 right, or, yeah, let's do 27 right, and uh, you can maybe expect some delay vectors, so we have an uh, emergency landing with a possible engine fire. Copy that, I'm with 3625. Uh, for right now, I need to keep you at your speed because you're not in my space, but uh, once you hit Cedar Lake, go ahead and pull back to 190 knots and then depart Cedar Lake on a 330 heading. Is correct, yes. We need a single channel, no more channel switching. Plus 1380, you're on approach frequency 128.4, you're where you should be, maintain 4000, and uh, do you need any further assistance from me? What type of final do you want? I heard short, or long. Yeah, we're going to need a long final. Okay, I'm going to let you drive until you tell me you want to turn base, okay? So uh, that'll be at least a 25-mile final. Longer than that, I'll have to do some coordination, but that'll be fine. We'll get that done for you. You let me know when you want to come in. Okay, 20 is good, and uh, we may need shorter here in a moment. Tell me the runway we're setting up for. We're going to set up for two. Say again. Southwest 1380, you'll be landing 27 left, 27 left today. And uh, you just let me know when you need to turn base. Uh, I, right now, I only have one person in front of you, which is a Southwest, but I'm sure he'll pull off if you need to go right in. Southwest 1458, clear visual approach, 27 right, keep your speed up. I'd like to get you on the ground before I have to turn her base. After that, uh, speed up, clear visual, 27 right. Okay, center. Southwest 1380, 1380, got a 1458 on frequency. I just cleared him for the approach. Southwest 1380, I understand your emergency. Let me know when you want to go in. Yeah, we have a part of the aircraft missing, so we're going to need to slow down a bit. Southwest 1380, speed is your discretion. Maintain uh, at any altitude above 3,000 feet, and you let me know when you want to turn base. All right. Down to 3,000, 210 on the speed. Absolutely. You just let me know anything you need. Uh, sure, I'll we'll let you know when he's, the, uh, when he's on a five-mile final. Southwest 1458, uh, give me the best forward speed, please, in the towers 18.5. Authority. Southwest 1380, you'd like to turn, start turning inbound. Foxtrot 21, uh, ETA probably about six, seven minutes, stand by. The number one engine failure. And it's a Boeing 737, 149 souls on board and 21,000 pounds of fuel. Southwest 1380, turn, uh, just start turning southbound there. There's a Southwest 737 on a four mile final, we'll be turning southbound. Start looking for the airport, it's off to your right and slightly behind you there. And uh, altitude is your discretion. Use caution for the uh, downtown area. Maintain, uh, advise you to maintain at about 2,200 for uh, EMVA. Okay, could you have the uh, medical meet us there on the runway as well? We've got uh, injured passengers. Injured passengers, okay. And are you, is your airplane physically on fire? No, it's not on fire, but part of it's missing. They said there's a hole in, and uh, someone went out. Um, I'm sorry, you said there was a hole and somebody went out? Southwest 1380, it doesn't matter. We'll work it out there. Uh, so the airport's just off to your right. Report it in sight, please. In sight. Southwest 1380, airport's in sight. Southwest 1380, you're cleared visual approach 27 right. Contact the tower on 118.5. Southwest 
South on 13 I'm sorry, clear visual approach, 27 left. 27 left and towers on 18-5. We're going on 27 left. Switching tower, good day. Go to tower, southwest still. 
Yeah, they want to know if they can get EMS on board the aircraft there. We're in the process of bringing EMS on. Okay, thank you. It's our record 4488. 4488, go. I hate to bother you guys, but uh, any word on the delay here, because we're kind of tight on the uh, stand by. We're talking about taking over to 27 right, possibly. Stand by. All right. All right, attention all aircraft. This frequency plan on route to point 27 right. Stand by. All right, at this regard, all aircraft can go ahead and start shutting down. Be on 4876, Brigade 4485, Foxtrot Charlie 1913. Be on 4988, Be on 4940, Blue Street 54, 5547, Envoy 3916, Delta 1224. Go ahead and shut down. It's going to be a good 15 minutes. Uh, we're not moving anybody on the aircraft airport right now. Is this still planning on uh, 27 right? Uh, no, not right now. Uh, not moving any aircraft. Trying not to move any aircraft on the field right now. And uh, we got uh, passengers deplaning on the field. That wraps up the ATC audio from Southwest 1380. We pick up our interview talking to Captain Schultz about her personal story, her military career, and developing the skills that led her and her first officer to land that aircraft safely. Um, so I, I was reading your background, and you you yeah. did have challenges. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you wanted to go into the Air Force, didn't you? I did. I Well, I didn't even know the Navy had airplanes. Uh, when the Air Force turned me down three, the third time, uh, and, they, and they said, please don't come back, um, my girlfriend, who all three of her brother, brothers were Air Force pilots, she said, Tammy Jo, try the Navy. And I'm like, I grew up in New Mexico. I'm used to the <laughs> desert. I've never even yeah. seen a real ship. I don't want to drive one. And she said, no, no, they have aircraft, aircraft carriers, jets, you know. So um, I stopped by the Army first just because I thought, well, I'm still not sure about the Navy. And the Army said, you are not a fit for us. And so I went to the Navy, and it's so funny because I think the Navy has, uh, they're so low-key about what they do with women that you, it's amazing. They opened up, first of all, they were the only ones that would let me even take the test. The others wouldn't even let me take the uh -huh. test. And, um, and it took me a couple of years and three more recruiters to find one that would process it because the first one said, oh, you scored high enough for a guy, but not a girl, we don't need girls. And so it took me a while to find, but the Navy, they were the first branch to open up to women. Uh, earning their wings and also in the Navy um, we weren't allowed to fly combat but we could fly combat aircraft just not in combat squadrons so we were the only branch up until Congress said you will let women fly combat um, no one else had women flying tactical aircraft and we were just laughing this morning because my husband who's a, a Navy pilot also we had both gotten F-18s on the same weekend, so we had a cross-country planned, not in formation, of course, because <laughs> we were in different squadrons. Yeah. But um, so we were both going to go meet up at Ellington in Houston, and on his way, he stopped by at Reese Air Force Base, and there was a, a lady uh, Air Force pilot instructor, and he walked in to the same uh, uh planning room and he gave her a hard time because being married to me he knew you know the crud that girl pilots took at the time and probably still take in some areas uh, and he goes good grief they let anybody wear a green suit now 
and he about got decked. And then he, he, he just laughed. He goes, no, I'm teasing you. My wife's a pilot in the Navy. She flies F-18. She goes, oh, right. Sure she does. And he goes, no, I'm serious. She goes, women don't fly those. And he goes, I'm meeting her in Ellington in two hours. She, she turned to her student and said, replan. We're going to go to Ellington and see this mythical F-18 pilot. And because the, the Air Force had been closed to women flying anything mm -hmm. combat, Luckily, I landed before he landed, so she and I <laughs> had already allowed him to live once he landed. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, um, yeah, it was, the Navy did have some open doors for women. And truthfully, there was, uh, I would say the majority of men in the Navy, and the Navy programs for women were great. There were, of course, those, um, you know, those that would, make it tough and especially when it's in a place of leadership it can really trickle down and make mm -hmm. things tough and unpleasant um, so we we dealt with that but luckily we had women that had gone before us that were brilliant hard-working women so when they pushed the door open for us it stayed and I think those of us that went through uh, prior to being able to fly in combat what we pushed open a little further, the ladies behind us could go through and push open for the next group. So, so before we talk about, um, you know, Southwest 1380. Yeah. Well, so what are you what are you doing nowadays? Now that you have this platform, so yeah. you, you know you're a great spokesperson to to really get women and underrepresented populations into right. aviation. So. You know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed is getting to speak um, both to young groups, to military groups, and uh, one of the one of the things I did before Flight 1380 was volunteered at a um, at an underprivileged and actually high risk kid school and. We, we started with aviation. Southwest Airlines has a great program called Adopt-A-Pilot, and it's six, eight weeks of just uh, learning some of the basics in aviation and, and getting to look at that. And so I, I put my application in with this little school to see if I could do that for fifth grade, which is the level it's supposed to, it's geared for. And they came back and said, we'd love for you to do it all grades. And so uh, we, we kind of massaged it a little bit, and we did it. My husband That's stepped great, in, yeah. and we did it for 1 through 12. And, but when it was over, they said, we want you to just keep coming. I don't care what you teach. And so we, we kind of morphed it into life lessons. And so I, I actually pack up china cups and <laughs> cookies and mints and, and chocolates, and we, we sit down, we have a kind of hot tea and we learn just life lessons. Sometimes it's learning to write a thank you note. Sometimes it's learning to introduce somebody and by that also kind of losing that fear of speaking in front of other people's and just some, some life lessons that these are kids that uh, most of them are taken away from their home due to violence and so those things that you and I learned on our mom and dad's laps uh, I'm enjoying getting to be a part of these kids. So I certainly enjoy continuing right where I was, but I've also enjoyed sharing, truthfully, just that wonder 
that God created in all of us, that spark of adventure. I mean, I think about when you get ready to go to school, how you roll out of the, the bed that day versus the day there's a field trip. And that spark, I mean, that's what we need all lifelong, not just when we're kids. And how adventure always has adversity. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be an adventure, you know. And how every time we, we, we take on an adventure and we overcome that adversity, and sometimes we even think we didn't overcome it, that we had to succumb to it. And, but you realize later, wow, that challenge really prepared me for this challenge in an even greater adventure. Does that take you back? Now, you flew as a missionary pilot for a while, right? No, I didn't, but it was the missionary pilot book, Jungle Pilot, when I was in junior high that totally took my dream of aviation and seeing the aircraft overhead, our hay barn doing dogfighting. It took that and put some solidity to that dream and made it a quest because I felt like after I read that book, I had seen from behind the eyes of a pilot, so that was definitely what I wanted to do. And I do support uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship, which they support people not associated with Christian ministries, just in medical help and transporting people and all over the world. So they are a fondness to my heart, them and uh, Samaritan's Purse. My husband and son and I have gone up for the second time to Alaska to be a part of the OHOP ministry which is to wounded warriors and their spouses. And um, they just do a wonderful job of helping them find footing as a marriage marriage couple again. And part of it is through marriage counseling, but most of their day is spent having an adventure together. Going fly fishing, going bear watching, going hiking, canoeing. And it's just, it just, I think it's interesting how we are made to do that and when we when we lose that sense of where's the next horizon we kind of sink back into a doldrum that and that's ties right into 1380 where it's our experiences and our adventures and Mm -hmm. all that preparation up to one defining moment isn't it it is and you know there were things that came up in flight 1380 on the way down that I was amazed that I had it on quick file. You know, it was something I had read about an aircraft accident years ago or something um, like when we first caught the aircraft. When the when the explosion happened, Darren and I both thought we'd had a mid-air with another aircraft. It was such a hard hit. That explosion just wrapped us around in a moment of time. We both caught the aircraft going over 40 degrees angle of bank. It was already yawed, pitched over. And as we brought it upright, I had that, that thought about Air France and how the pilots had put in opposing inputs all the way to their crash. Yeah. And so I looked at Darren, whose flight it was originally, and gave him the nod and gave him my hands off the <laughs> yoke so that we both knew he had the aircraft. And then made a PA and went on with the sequence of events. But... Um, yeah, we, we both came away from there realizing, you know, uh, habits on a good day are your instincts on a bad day. And we have that generous gift of getting to decide what our habits are. So you can dictate your, dictate your instincts, 
by grooming good habits. And instincts take no time and no part of your mental loop. You can do them and move on. Because there were things that were new to us that we had to figure out on the way down. So the things that we already knew, it was great to have those just done as we went along. That's a great life lesson for every pilot out there when you go up for an hour and you don't know what to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Just build good habit patterns, isn't it? Right, and um, also taking the time on the ground or when you're flying straight and level for a long time and you have a little time, you know, and you're looking through maybe thumbing through the QRH for fun, which is a joke. But um, (laughs) I know, I do it once in a while too. But just kind of having that thought process of why, why are we doing that switch? Because like Darren and I coming down, it was low to the ground that we realized we're really a glider. We don't have the ability to add power to level off. Because we already had so much drag on the left, we were 10,000 pounds overweight, and adding thrust on the right just pushed us to the left more. And we're decelerating, so we have less rudder authority. So when we turned in, we didn't have time to pull out the checklist for the single engine uh, before landing checklist. We had to do the before landing checklist and add what we knew by reason, you know, the flap inhibit switch so that we didn't get extra warning signals because it just made, it was in the reasoning part of our mind, not just the procedural part of our mind. So taking time to think about what's, what's behind those procedures. So you, you can think about it with reason and then it files differently, I think, in our minds for recall than if it's just a procedure. It's amazing, isn't it? So, yeah. Well, we certainly don't have time to recount the entire events of yeah. uh, 1380, but you just wrote a book, right? I did, yeah. and the last few chapters are dedicated to 1380 yeah. more in depth. And um, the first few chapters are, are about life uh, on the ground as well as in the air and just navigating through it, sometimes with grace, sometimes <laughs> not, you know, and, and uh, I, think, I think if you pick it up to read, you'll see uh, probably a reflection of yourself somewhere along that path. Yeah, I think everybody does, right? I, mean, I especially think... want to thank you for your time. I wish we had oh, more time. I would probably I talk to you all day long. <laughs> it would be fun. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Thanks thank for you this so much. Of time. Yeah. Fun question. Oh, we do have a fun question. Really quick. We oh, always sure. end every question. Now, you've already flown some pretty cool airplanes, but... If money was no object, right. and you could fly any airplane in the world, past, present, or future, what airplane would that be? Well, I mean, truly, I kind of go by what I've flown, and I did love the F-18. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe F-18 on Tundra tires. You know, so it's a little <laughs> yeah. more, you know, gravel strip yeah. now and then. But, uh, no, the Hornet, it was it was pretty cool. I mean, in my book, I say it was it was the um, kind of the paramount of taking, taming and organizing a thousand yeah. details into this <laughs> economy of mind and motion that are just thrilling. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. You bet. <laughs> Thanks, our mom. Wow, what an absolutely awe-inspiring lady she is. That, that was fantastic. That's great. And, uh, yeah, it has to be said, Armando, uh, uh, let's be honest there, Megan saved your bacon there with the last question. <laughs> she did. <laughs> that was her test, and now she's a full-fledged member of the PTUK Absolutely. Family. Yeah, yeah, she passed with flying, <laughs> she passed with flying colors. Oh, no, and, it, and it really was because I was uh, 
I was mesmerized by Tammy Jo Schultz's story. I, and like you said, she's an amazing woman. And mm. that's probably one of the biggest things that, that Megan and I both got out of Oshkosh was such amazing people. Um, you know, and she talked a lot about her first officer, Darren. So Darren Elliser was a former Air Force pilot. And he was an instructor pilot, evaluator pilot on the E3 AWACS. Um, so he was also very experienced. And uh, probably the, the biggest thing that I got out of that whole interview was how violent the uh, engine disintegration yeah. was that they thought they had hit another aircraft. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, and that's great. quite that's quite a bold statement, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, it's it, that that as you say, it's going to have to have been one heck of a bang yeah, in order to sort of uh, for you to literally sort of think that. I mean, it's yeah. actually yeah. Uh, never. I always find uh, like when you're playing out an interview, you can always tell by the chat room. Um, how how well it's going down because there was literally nothing going on in the chat room during the mm. playing out that interview. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And uh, what what an inspiration uh, the flight mm. crew uh, were, and also the cabin crew as well. Imagine how devastating yeah. that would be the for thing. them. And if you have if you ever wanted a, an advertisement. For a reason not to have pilot this aircraft, that is it, surely. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can't. You, that 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 is that. that well, as usual, Nev, you're you're on the money. <laughs> there, definitely. It's a it's a sort of fantastic thing. So there's a couple of things that uh, uh, we still have to do before we wrap up. We are running massively over time. Uh, we're making up for last week, I think, Nev. That's that's what it is. Mm, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, now, as many of you will probably realise, uh, that uh, we're a person down uh, today. There is somebody in the studio who would normally be sat here and is to is not here. That is because it's a certain person's birthday this weekend, and uh, they've gone away with Gemma to go and spend uh, the weekend with friends uh, down in Brighton. Uh, but it wouldn't be a PTUK birthday if we didn't hear from a certain man from Maine. So it's Carlos's birthday, and I want to wish him a very happy one. But this year, Carlos's birthday has me thinking of many of my UK friends. Been thinking about them a lot, actually. But rather than including a letter to Carlos in the card that I hope he received by now, I figured I'd share my thoughts with all of you. I just realized that with two exceptions, and those were terrific exceptions, by the way, I haven't seen any of my UK friends since... May of 2017 at Wings Over Pittsburgh. That was the last time I had the opportunity to be together with most everyone, and even then, some were missing. With Oshkosh this year, my feelings of missing people intensified. There were many friends from both the USA and the UK gathered together, and here I was, stuck in Maine. It was great to keep up with everyone at Oshkosh via social media, and even a few texts. I felt bad that the PTUK crew wasn't there, but Nev had just made a journey to North America. Matt was driving coaches, Carlos was busy working, and Armando, no longer a UK friend, was busy with other things. And by the way, it's not that Armando and I aren't friends, even though we've never met. And it's not that he was my friend and he is no longer, but based on his change of station, he now fits into the North American friends group. Yeah, I'm a little melancholy over all of this, but not in a bad way. Maine isn't a bad place to be in the summer, and I've been busy with a few things that might have kept me from Oshkosh anyway. For example, I was able to take part again with the Airplane Geeks at Innovations in Flight Fun and Family Day at the Smithsonian Institution Udvarhazy Center. Was even able to bring a bit of that to you here at Plane Talking UK. 
I attended a sperm wing farm pancake breakfast and fly-in. Even got to do that with my Kreplock brother, Eric. I got to visit with a Maryland squadron of A-10 warthogs that were visiting the Mac Jet FBO here at Portland Jetport. And speaking of the Portland International Jetport, that's PWM by the way, I also had the opportunity to co-host Airplane Geeks episode 562 with airport director Paul Bradbury as our guest. That co-hosting was particularly terrific from my perspective as it was recorded from Paul's office on the airport grounds in the heart of the operations center. What a treat it was to be able to have a personal one-on-one -on -one tour of PWM's Op Center. Then for my birthday weekend, Max Flight came up to Maine and we visited the Owl's Head Transportation Museum together and covered their wings and wheels spectacular for the airplane geeks. They even set us both up with open cockpit flights in original PT-17 Stearman biplanes. What a great day that was! To be fair, however, the idea of Oshkosh is really not that appealing to me in some respects. The idea of camping just makes my skin crawl. Having spent over 10 years in higher education administration and managing residence halls, what, what most people call dormitories, the idea of staying in a dorm just makes me want to heave. Then with my long-time work as a road manager in the music business and having attended my share of outdoor festivals, well, just thinking about it, I can smell the mud, feel the goopy sunscreen on my skin, making it feel greasy with its sickly sweet fragrance that makes me the target of mosquitoes and other biting insects. At most events like that, all I can think about is wanting to go back to my hotel, taking a shower, and laying down naked on a big king-size bed in the privacy of my cool, dry, air-conditioned room. Yeah, I know I could have left out the naked part, and please don't get sick picturing it. Too much information, I know. But those are my thoughts. Now, if I'm going to be honest, I thought about suffering through all of that outdoor misery and poor accommodations anyway. I've wanted to attend Oshkosh since I first read about it in Popular Mechanics when I was about 12 years old. I was thinking about all those airplanes in one place. And this year, more importantly, all those friends from all over the world who took the time to travel for a love of aviation, and perhaps more significantly, for the community and friendships. But then I realized I just couldn't do it physically. And that's what has me melancholy. Although I'm still only in the research process, all the data is pointing to back surgery. It's not something I take lightly, and in fact, it's something I'm quite reluctant to do, but it seems it will be the way to go for many reasons. The biggest on my mind right now? Maybe if it works as anticipated, I'll be able to meet my friends across the pond next year, long around Farnborough time, and give my nephew Carlos an early birthday hug. Happy birthday from across the pond, Carlos. From your main man, Uncle Micah. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Micah. I'm sure Carlos will be absolutely... He'll be, he'll be listening to this and uh, be very shocked. Now, I have to confess, uh, the PTUK studio was slightly distracted uh, by this little individual. Now, what have you found there, um, Armando? <laughs> this is the newest addition to the carry-on oh. family. This is Lois Lane... I'm sorry. I, I'm lost for words now. It's the most beautiful. So what's, what's the species? Uh, Lois Lane is a mix of uh, wired-haired terrier and beagle. And she's a cute... <laughs> it's uh, very much... Oh, she's uh, lovely, isn't she? She's absolutely beautiful. That is also... Yeah, yeah, you need to let go now, Daddy. Get off me. I, I need to go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, so, <laughs> yeah, have... let, let me... 
let me tell Micah, I, as soon as I have access to an airplane where I have free reign of the country, I will come right up to Maine. And, uh, you know, that is on one of my U.S. Uh, locations bucket lists. Oh, um, fantastic. And Oshkosh, we certainly missed Micah. It was a, it was a great mm. reunion of, of everybody in our little community. Yeah, now obviously you mentioned that this is the first time you've been on the show, obviously, since, since Oshkosh. And... Um, yeah, so uh, really, uh, uh, talk us through some of the highlights and, and what was, uh, uh, I mean, we were all following the social media that was associated with it. It looked like an, a truly stunning uh, event. I mean, what were the highlights for you? Yeah, I, I love aviation, and even I was overwhelmed. And anybody that goes up there, even if you're a repeat offender, um, you still get through the show as much as you can and and we were megan and i were up there for six days and we still feel like we only covered about three quarters of the show we didn't even know there was an ultralight field until the last day <laughs> wow so uh they they wrapped up the show and put out some of the numbers for for the media uh and and he, listen to these numbers there was total attendance was six hundred and forty two thousand people uh 2,700 international visitors, 12,300 campers or campsites, uh, 10,000 aircraft, uh, 2,758 show planes, uh, 127 takeoffs and landings per hour. Wow. 5,500 volunteers, uh, 6,800 flight experiences, people that paid for flight, and the local. Uh, economic impact for the Oshkosh area was over uh, $170 million bringing that many people in. And, uh, <laughs> and, that, and we were part of that. Like, like Micah, we, we weren't too keen on camping, even though that was the original plan. We ended up sharing an Airbnb um, with, a, with some of our Reno uh, friends. And that's the, the last part of it. I mean, there was airplanes galore. You can, you can go you know, on the internet and see everything that was there and some of the highlights. But for me, the highlight was, was the people and getting to meet up with everybody in aviation from doing the interviews with Tammy Jo Schultz uh, and uh, Amanda Simpson from Airbus and, and the New Zealand, the Baz Flyer couple, to our podcast friends, to our Reno friends, to our military friends. Um, so if anybody ever has the, the means to get up to Oshkosh, uh, I would absolutely recommend it. I mean, I must admit, it's, it is genuinely one of the places that I, I need to get to. It's 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 on the uh, the bucket list for you. I mean, I, I I'm sure I don't speak out of turn, Michael. I mean, um, Nev, it would have been absolutely uh, like Michael was saying. It would be, we'd we'd have loved to have been there, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just an unfortunate series of circumstances for all of us, really. Yeah. That we just weren't available. But uh, never mind. Was, yeah, uh, absolutely. Good. There's yeah. always next year, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there is. Well, actually, we've got another air show which we are attending ourselves. Yes, yes. This coming Saturday, not tomorrow, but the week after. So it, yep. this is on Saturday the 17th, and it's the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight. That's just down in the, the southeast yeah. uh, part of London in, in Kent. Uh, we'll be there, Carlos, Matt and myself, on uh, Saturday, August 17th. Uh, the flying starts from 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Weather depending, of course. Let's hope the weather is a bit better than it has been the last few days. Yeah. Um, and uh, for those who don't know, that uh, Biggin Hill was a famous uh, fighter station that played a major role uh, 
in the Battle of Britain and despite repeated attacks remained operational throughout and on November the 2nd 1939 a squadron from Biggin Hill shot down the first enemy aircraft of World War II which was a Dornier DO-17. It's now an international airport and home to several warbirds owned and operated by the Biggin Hill Heritage Hangar which is based at the airport. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you just do a Google search on Biggin Hill, Biggin Hill Festival of Flight uh, that will give you all the details. Indeed, absolutely. Very much looking forward to, do, to doing that. If you are coming uh, or you want to get in touch with the show in general, please do get in touch via social media. So search on your chosen platform for Plain Talking UK and you'll find us. Uh, the website www.plaintalkinguk.com and of course our email. It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. If you've got any comments about the show, don't be shy. Uh, good or bad, we like to hear them because obviously we do make this for you. So if, there, if you've got any suggestions about content, or uh, any alterations you'd like us to make to the show, uh, you know, like getting rid of me for a start. Uh, there, <laughs> there are lots of no, uh, ways no, of doing no. that. It is, as I say, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you are coming to uh, the Biggin Hill show, why not uh, ping us a message to let us know and we'll make sure you can, we can get in touch. Uh, Armando, you had your hand up. <laughs> I, I did. Uh, additionally, you can go over to the PTUK website, go to Amazon. Uh, do your Amazon shopping and you can pick up your copy of Nerves of Steel by Captain Tammy Jo Schultz. Uh, Pre-order it and it'll be available uh, mid-October. That's right. And if you do it through our website, we actually get a, what they call an ad advertising referral free. Uh, so without having to put your hand in your pocket, other than for what you were going to buy in the first place, you can donate towards Plain Talking UK without having to do so. Don't forget, obviously, we are on Patreon. If you would like to uh, maybe become a Patreon yourself, uh, go to patreon.com. Again, search for Plain Talking UK. So that is where we bring episode number... It's 281. God, we really are romping through Jeez. them, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Going to have to start talking about that 300 soon, you know. Mm. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, right. <laughs> that does, uh, uh, Nev, uh, up to anything fun this week, obviously? Uh, lots of London activity, I think, this week. Not not too much driving, I, I don't think. So uh, that'll, that'll be good. And uh, then, uh, yes, looking forward to the air show yep. on Saturday. Well, I guess we'll probably be there from, what, mid-morning? Something, something like, like that, that. yes, yeah, or 10, 11 o'clock, something like that. Yeah. I think that's what we're aiming yeah. for, isn't it? Yeah. Now, uh, Jenny, obviously, you're here at the moment, but you're about to head home, aren't you? So you're heading home on Sunday, Sunday is that right? Yeah, on yeah. Sunday. Lovely, okay. So uh, I dare say in the BFF chat group, there'll be lots of stalking going on with your EasyJet flight home. Well, I just hope it leaves on time. <laughs> yes, of course it will. It's all right. There'll be lots of people t keeping a close eye on it for you. Can I say something while I'm here? Yeah, do. Since yeah. I'm in the, in the hot seat here that Carlos is normally in, <laughs> I can, I've managed to see all the work that goes on behind the scenes here. And Matt is absolutely brilliant. I can't believe the equipment and how everything's done. It's a bit brilliant. scary in here. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, no, it's, how, how has your experience been? It must be, is it sort of slightly weird seeing it from this side, I suppose? Yes, it is, but it's great fun. Because usually I, I was explaining to Matt before that this comes on over my dinner time, so I can listen to it while I'm preparing dinner, and then I sort of sneakily read the chat room while, <laughs> while the evening progresses. It's lovely to see the whole show. Absolutely, yeah. Oh well, no. Well, uh, you're always welcome. Next time, you, next time you're back in uh, back in Blighty, then uh, you'll have to come Thank and visit you. again. Uh, so Armando, uh, anything other than throwing out uh, people out of a perfectly functioning aeroplane, of which there is nothing wrong uh, what else are you up to next week 
Well, once again, I always stay in the airplane. It's them that <laughs> they're the crazy. They're the crazy ones. <laughs> they're the crazies. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, no, a uh, little bit more flying, so I'll be heading up to Pennsylvania over the weekend, and then uh, Florida next weekend, and then in the middle of the week, I'll be doing some flying here locally and uh, working at the airport. So there we go, just all over the place. Fantastic. Well, uh, that's it uh, for episode 281. Um, I don't know when we're doing it next week. Uh, I think there was talking about possibly doing it on Saturday, but follow our social media if you would like to find out more. So uh, that's it for episode 281. Everyone say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.